0: Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message.
1: Thank God that when God's people do not respond, the Lord Jesus weeps in secret places. Notice it says places, not place. Where does he weep? In the hearts of spirit-filled believers because that's where he's living and in these secret places he weeps and brings compassion and brings love and brings concern and brings prayer and brings dedication and brings his cross and there as personal Lord he weeps through your mind and your emotions because of people that will not come to him that's what gets a person up at three in the morning when they're tired and makes them completely love the world and want to do something about it. Jesus Christ is weeping in that secret place. He knows where those places are, and He knows the hours. Some of the most tremendous things in the Bible, like in Jeremiah 22:29, when a God of heaven cries out to His people, In such an unusual way. And with intensity he says. O earth, earth, earth. Hear the voice of the Lord. With a triple salutation. He pleads with them. To hear the word of God. In Isaiah the 5th chapter and the 4th verse. He said. What more could I do unto you than I have done? Wherein have your fathers in Jeremiah 2. 5. Wherein have your fathers found sin in me? What have I done that they don't like me? He said, My people have become my enemies. And the Lord Jesus Christ is crying because of the separation of fellowship with Israel. And He does give them a promise in the midst of His judgment. He does give them hope in the midst of their failure. He does give them grace in the midst of their sin. And he doesn't leave them without a promise. And he doesn't leave them without his love. And he doesn't leave them without a door of hope. Because in Hosea 2.15, the valley of Achor has been turned into a door of hope. The valley in which Achan was judged has now become a door of hope to Israel for her restoration. And how many times the Lord Jesus Christ operates in your life and my life and the lives of his people. When we fail, remember, he just doesn't turn his back. He weeps in secret places. And think of how it's said that he does weep. It's said that as I, single, I, single, love, single, love that takes in holy hatred for sin, but pure, immutable attitude of grace toward its subject. And that... I that weeps sore and the tears run down because he doesn't want broken fellowship he doesn't want a grieved spirit can you imagine think with me please for just a few minutes when he died for the sins of the world and for his church think of how he feels when pastors and churches don't love one another and if their name is brought up immediately they're defensive and critical yet they have never prayed with one another They've never gone to one another. They've never wept in their pulpit for one another. And yet he weeps sore for all of them. He will not accept the fact. He will not accept the fact that he's just going to let them go. When he lets his people go with broken fellowship, he doesn't let them go without weeping while they're gone. He just doesn't say, "Okay, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. He just says, earth, 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 hear the voice of the Lord. Oxes know their master and the asses have their crib. But my people Israel does not consider. She does not consider. And then he says, "O earth, hear the word of the Lord. And this is his cry. Don't just turn your back in fellowship. Hear my word. And I'm pleading with you with a single eye. And I'm weeping over this broken fellowship. And I promise you I'm going to bless you. I promise you I'm going to restore you. But wherein have your fathers found sin in me? What more could I do unto you than I have done? He says, One day in Micah 4.4, Thou shalt set under your own vine and under your own fig tree. That I promise you you can play the role of the harlot. But one day, one day, my grace will catch up with you. And one day, you'll discover that you're not happy seeking for other lovers and other idolatry and religious experiences and religious idolatry and religious criticism and play the role of pride in religion. One day, you'll understand that that does not satisfy, that that does not bring peace, that that does not satisfy your desire for love. One day, you'll come back to me, your original husband. I will not divorce you. You are not my people now. You are my enemies because of choice. Your choice. But I will not let you go. I'll never forsake you. You know, a lot of people talk about the Old Testament. But when I read Numbers twenty-three twenty-one, it just blessed me with tremendous blessing. God says, listen, Jacob, listen. You may have sinned against me but I don't behold your iniquity. And he said to Israel, you've been perverse, but I'm not going to charge your perverseness against you. He said, instead, he said, I am your king, and you have the shout of a king. Think of the grace and the love and the mercy that he gave Israel under the law. And under the law, he said, I will not behold Jacob's sin. I will not... Take in count the perverseness of Israel, but rather you are the child of the children of a king, and you can have the shout of a king. That wasn't Romans 4, 7, and 8. That was Numbers 23, 21. What am I saying? The same thing he says with one word in Deuteronomy thirty two fifteen. He used an unusual Hebrew word to mean, I consider you to be upright ones. And that was right in the midst of captivity, right in the midst of failure, and right in the midst of their sin, he called them upright, because he had chosen them by grace to be his people. And God is coming to Israel, and over and over again, what he did unto them under law was hoping that they would get their hearts full of law, that they would... Stop trying to live by law and stop trying to live by their religious desires, which is to keep a law and prove themselves through pride. He wanted them to understand that the wages of breaking the law is death, and if that's what you want, then that's what I'll give you. But that's not what I want. I don't want to give you law. I don't want to give you death. I don't want you to take your judgment. I want you to repent and come to me as a virgin totally forgiven and begin to walk in the glory and love of grace. And so in this tremendous book of Hosea, he gives them a precious principle. And that principle in Hosea 2.15, and I want you to read it with me. And I will give her her vineyard from thence and the valley of Acre for a door of hope. And she shall sing there, As in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, and she shall sing in this door of hope. When she was a prostitute, when she was a harlot, when she was a runaway sin, sinful nation, God will not leave her without a promise. And this is the most blessed concept in philosophy that God is given his backslider. That God is given someone that grieves the spirit, that God is given someone that falls away into sin and doesn't seem to know how to get back. Think of it. The arm is underneath in Deuteronomy 33:27, and the love is still poured out, and the weeping eyes of God is calling to come home and come back, and gives a promise while they're gone and while they're living in sin, the promise is there. And in Jeremiah 2:19, your backslidings will correct you, and when you get sick and tired of it, come home, and I'm ready to love you and to nurse you and to forgive you and to cleanse you and to have you be unto me a virgin wife. And in the New Testament, without spot or blemish, blemish in Ephesians 5.27. And that's God's loving promise and loving grace in action. Now let me ask you this. Why is it that God's people cannot understand this kind of a God? Why isn't it that as God's people That we cannot fully accept this kind of a glorious, precious gospel that comes down from heaven and comes into our heart and wants to completely take over with its precious, wonderful manifestation through our entire being. Why is it that in humility we cannot sit down as kings and queens that we are and sit down in faith rest? Why is it that when failure comes, that we will realize that Jesus Christ in no way, absolutely in no way, wants that failure to scour or injure our fellowship with Him. He wants repentance and acceptance of love and grace on the basis of mercy. Why is it that God's people rationalize defeat, confess trials, live in the dilemma of indifferences and passivity and comparing? Why is it that they go on and on and only have a couple of good days or a good week in a good month and fall back into the terrible disaster of trying to live in religious pride? Why is it that they get up and make their professions only when 24 hours later to fail in misery? Why is it that when Satan has been judged once and for all, when sin has been judged once and for all, when death has been judged once and for all, when failure has been judged once and for all, when all of these things has been judged and defeated and buried, and that's the glorious gospel, why is it? that God's people can't believe the truth from God and accept the truth and live in the truth and abide in the truth and praise God for the truth and let that kind of praise come from their lips and the blood of the Lamb, be their victory 24 hours a day, when feelings come that alienate them from God, when failure comes that frustrates the grace of God, why is it that we can't confess the blood and Jesus Christ and walk in that way of mercy, when holiness, in purity, and power, in redemption, in restoration, and with the idea that we are conquerors because He said so? There's not a reason in the world why God's people who have discovered the door of hope cannot be the door of hope. Now there's three things I want to say in closing which makes it absolutely possible. Number one, in Luke 19.13 Jesus said, Be occupied with me till I come. This morning my prayer was this. Lord, please help me by your grace to be occupied with you no matter who I see, no matter who talks. Don't let me be occupied with anything less than you. One time during this day, because you said to do it, to be occupied with you. And you said you're faithful to perform what you've told us to do. So, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to be occupied with negative stimuli. I'm not going to be occupied with somebody's confession of defeat, even though I'll love them and show them the door of hope. But I'm talking about personal occupation. I'm not talking about not caring. I'm not talking about not ministering and not edifying and not being concerned I'm talking about personal occupation mentally and emotionally Lord you said to be occupied with you so in every breath today granted secondly the Word of God says let every man that have this hope that they're going to be placed in like unto the Son of God himself at the second coming, that every man that hath this hope in 1 John 3, 3, purify himself even as he is pure. And in that tremendous verse, what a thrill it is, what a tremendous thrill it is to know that a man and a woman that inherited personal sin, that have personally sinned, can not only be cleansed for eternity, not only experience that judgment has passed from them now before they die, in John 5, 24, they've already passed from death unto life already, if they hear the word and believe it. Not only is that true, what a precious thing it is to realize not only that there's no condemnation from God's side, But what a precious thing it is to know from man's side he can live within himself just as pure as God himself is. I don't understand it other than that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses the conscience. In Hebrews 9.14 that God will not judge any man that's saved and born again. In Romans 8.31 and 32 that Satan cannot. In Romans 8.33 that people never can. In Romans 8.34 and trials can't separate him. In Romans 8.35 through 39. So I I do understand because of the purity of redemption because of the cleansing of the blood and because of the unconditional agreement between the Father and the Son that when a man accepts the Son and the Father places the man in the Son then the Son protects man and provides him with all that God is and to him everything that God is in character by grace through the blood In the eternal is with time gone from the standpoint of eternal redemption in Hebrews 9.11 And that does reveal to me that man can be just as pure as God is. And I cannot understand it other than to say in everything, thank you, Lord, it's true. the Lord would not have placed it in the Scriptures if it were not true. And lastly, in 1 John 4, 17, he said, as he is, so are we. In this present evil world now. In other words, how can a man in a mortal body, walking in the devil's backyard in the world system, be just as God is in this evil world before he gets his new body? And yet Jesus Christ says, as he is God's Son, Jesus, glorified, so are we now in this present evil world right now? At the same time, first John one eight says, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. How do you put it together and how does it work? because by the grace of God, the covenant of hebrews nine fifteen through eighteen the new covenant, which he took away the first and established the second in hebrews ten nine is now the only covenant that Jesus Christ realizes that God the Father recognizes and the children of God experience. And it's a covenant based upon the blood, based upon mercy, and based upon grace. And when God's children break the fellowship in that covenant, that breaks the heart of the Father because they are His sons by the new birth and they can never be anything less than sons of God because the Holy Spirit did the conceiving in an eternal act of redemption forever. But therefore, when God's children break that fellowship, then the covenant is nullified in experience but not in the eternal agreement of its consequential effect on God the Father and God the Son through man for man in the eternal ultimate end. Therefore, he weeps because he wants the covenant to bring what it's supposed to bring, abundant life, where sin isn't imputed, where sins are not recognized. But grace reigns in Romans 5.21, and the man can be pure as God is, live as God does, and be victorious as God does. And when temptation and sin comes, as it does and as it will, he confesses the blood and goes on in the covenant of the power of the Holy Spirit's resurrection as it reveals Jesus Christ in the word of truth it becomes his very life. And so he constantly understands this that the valley of Achor which was where his sin was judged and stoned and crucified has now become his door of hope or Mount Calvary in which his sins murdered Jesus with its shame And with all of the awesomeness of judgment, Calvary, which was his terrible doom because of his guilt, now becomes a place where it's constantly a door of hope all the time. Because for the believer, born again, the judgment is already passed and it leaves Calvary as nothing less than a door of hope. And the only time that it isn't personally is when we don't fellowship with the truth of it, then it becomes a promise. But when we fellowship with the truth of it, the promise is being experienced, and the promise is turned into a personal experience. So it's either a promise or a personal experience, but it's always there because the curse has turned into a blessing.
0: Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graysonpublic.com
2: To put it in a very simple way, Uh, Hope is one of the desires that's common to all men. Men need hope in order to survive. And we place our hope in several different sources. We either have hope in ourselves, we have hope in others, or we have hope in God. You can break it down into many many different categories from those three, I'm sure. But when it comes down to it... Now, what's the... the stablest place to put our hope. It says in Psalm 39.7, I like this, in the New American Standard. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Philippians one twenty, also in the New American Standard. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So the true, real place to put our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's our door of hope. He's our way of access into eternity, into that expectation that will not put us to shame.
0: We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is com.
3: The message you just heard, if it had touched your heart, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a precious, precious moment where you, if you would take the time, Jesus is knocking on your door wanting to come in. The love of the Father is revealed to you at this moment. It's simply just because of God's grace and God's plan and the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask with all your heart. Ask Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior. And he will. And from that point on, you'll be part of the family of God. It's that simple. With all your heart, just ask, say, Jesus, would you be my Lord and my Savior? I need you to come in and take over my life. Amen.